chapter 11, and I want to look at verses 22 through 25 together again. And from there, we're going to move into several different New Testament texts, because as I shared with you this morning, my intention is to take this idea of what Jesus says in Mark chapter 11 and, and give, it some, give it its proper context. And so one of, the things that, one of the things that you always learn in a hermeneutics class, hermeneutics is really just a fancy word for interpretation, but it's the word that is used uh, to describe interpretation of a biblical text. And so when you're in seminary or you're in Bible college and you take a class on interpretation, they don't call it Bible Interpretation 101. They call it hermeneutics. And so when you take a class on hermeneutics, when you take a class on interpretation, they drill into you. One of the things that they always drill into you is context. Context is essential in understanding what any passage of Scripture means because we have to understand several things as it relates to this. First of all, when Mark sat down and wrote the Gospel of Mark, Mark didn't sit down and write this with chapters and verses. That was something that was added later so that it would be easier to target certain things, right? To highlight particular teachings. And so when we study it by chapter and verse in divisions the way that we do typically, we miss a little something of what Mark originally intended because Mark intended for this to be one story, if you will, one, one, uh, one, one uh, book, one setting as a whole, that sort of thing, right? So, that, that context relates in that way. Similarly, just the, general, just the general things that have been added, like paragraph divisions and punctuation and those things, that also gives some context, an element of the flow of thought. But even that is actually an interpretive matter because when Greek was originally written, Greek was typically written in all uppercase letters. In fact, if you've ever seen any kind of an ancient Greek text off of uh, a papyrus or off of any kind of tablet or uh, parchment or any, any kind of ancient writing, typically Greek was written all in all uppercase letters and there was no there were, there were no punctuations. There were no spaces. It was just like one giant run-on sentence, uh, one word to the next. Now, as a reader, as a native reader, your mind is able to decipher that. Every so often, somebody will put a thing on Facebook, and it's like, how smart are you really? Can you tell what this says? But it's all written out as like one giant word or something, right? And you can read that, and your mind is able to figure out where the breaks belong and the punctuation belongs, because you're a native of the language, and so you can do that, right? Well, imagine that's just the way Greek was written in general. And so even things like paragraph divisions and periods and commas and all of th- those are all interpretive in a sense. They're not a part of the original language. That's not a bad thing. It just means those things are there because somewhere along the way, someone, and typically lots of someones, have studied this text in great detail. They've poured hours and hours and years and years into studying these texts, and these are the products that they've given us. And so 
when we study these things, when we study them in their context, when we place it in relationship to other teachings of Scripture and, and things that Jesus might have said as recorded in one of the other Gospels or things that someone else has said that they attribute to a teaching that Jesus taught or even just biblical principles derived from the teaching of Jesus or the teaching of one of the other apostles, all of these things, when we weigh all of this together, then we begin to see the context. And so it would be easy, I mentioned this this morning, it would be easy to proof text Mark 11, 23 through 25, and walk away with some really bad doctrine, right? You could lift Mark eleven twenty three and 24 out of its context, and you could walk away basically saying prosperity gospel stuff, right? All I have to do is just pray it and claim it, and it's mine. Jesus said so, right? But that's not at all what Jesus meant here. And so in order for us to understand some of the context of what he's saying and really the heart behind what he's telling the disciples here, I want us to look at this statement again, and then I want us to broaden out a little bit, broaden our scope. I want us to consider some other things Jesus taught about prayer And then from there, I want to broaden out even just a little bit further and make a few points. Uh, It's actually something that, so we're going to look at some teachings of Jesus related to prayer uh, in Matthew chapter 6, John chapter 14, 15, 16. And then we're going to look at one other thing that John, the Apostle John, gives in 1 John chapter 5 that very closely uh, is related to the wording of what Jesus himself taught the disciples. And all of that together, I hope, will give us the proper context whereby we need to consider Jesus' statement here, Matthew chapter 11. And then the final thing that we'll do after we've looked at all of these passages is, I'm actually going to give you five points of powerful prayer. Five things that we ought to do when we pray Five, uh, five, if I can, things that we should pray that will, that will help us to have powerful prayer. I don't mean it for it to be an exhaustive list. It's not the only things that we ought to pray for. But five things that will, I think, lend power to our prayers the way Jesus speaks of prayer in Matthew chapter 11. So I have something in my eye. An eyelash or something is driving me crazy. So pardon me that I keep poking myself in the eye here trying to make it go away. Um, Matthew chapter 11, let's start in verse 22. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, do you, do you, this last phrase particularly, do you see anything in that that sounds familiar? The, ask for forgiveness so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your trespasses. That very closely is, uh, in, in terms of its wording, that's very closely related to what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, Right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, or forgive, yeah, forgives us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, right? It's, it's, it's very, the wording is, is so close to that, that uh, in all likelihood, what Jesus taught at the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, 
many of these things may have been teachings that Jesus taught over and over again, right? And it, he was, this was an oral culture. They, these were things that Jesus taught uh, often in, in all likelihood. Now, we have them recorded in the Gospels, but even just the fact that the, that the Gospel writers remember them with the level of detail, we understand part of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. But just practically speaking, it's probably also because Jesus said these things all the time. And, and you see even just a glimpse of that here in what Mark records. So when you pray, ask your father, uh, rather, if you have anything, ask forgiveness so that your father who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So here's what I want to do. This is, one, this is one teaching. This is one text that, where Jesus essentially says, pray and believe. And if you do, you'll have whatever you pray for. Do it in do it and in, in, in believe. So let's look at something else that Mark records for us. Uh, excuse me. That Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer I've already hinted at. And I'm not going to read the, the Lord's Prayer in its entirety, okay? I'm not going to read it, the, the whole of it. We know it well. But I want to read in particular verses 9 and 10... But I'm going to back up to verse 7 to catch what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. And then catch this. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is what Jesus is saying. Your father knows what you need. You're not asking in order to inform God of something that he doesn't know. Instead, when you pray, really in many ways, you are, you are acknowledging God's power in your life. You are acknowledging his authority over the things that you are praying for. You are acknowledging your submission to his. These are all important parts of prayer, right? So pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You could probably quote the rest of the Lord's Prayer by memory, right? Because it's, it's tried and true. We know it well. But consider this is what Jesus is teaching us here. He's teaching us first and foremost, not so much the exact words that we ought to pray, there's no magic in reciting this prayer word for word. I suppose any more than, than it is just any time we, we, our, our, our prayers are, uh, are, are embedded with words of Scripture. I do believe that God loves for us to use his word and pray his word back to him because it shows that we've taken it to heart, that we're meditating on it, that, it, that, that we're dwelling on it, and, and we've really taken it in. But here's the point of what Jesus is saying. When we pray, don't be like those who think that there's magic in their words and so they go on and on and on and they want others to hear them. Instead, when you pray, he's saying, really, truly, align your heart with God's. Align your will to his. Prayer isn't so much about us getting our way from God as it is us coming under the umbrella of his authority and aligning ourselves with his purpose. Do you see that? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First of all, we've acknowledged his, 
his dominion. He's our father, so it's personal. He loves us. There's a personal nature to this relationship that we have. He's the father. The father is, is, is a loaded meaning, right? It just means so many things, but just to keep it brief, it means that he loves us and he cares for us and he provides for us the way that a father should. He's the perfect father. He's our heavenly father. Hallowed be your name. His name is great. His name has power and authority and might because there's no other name like the name of our God, right? And, and, and again and again in the Psalms, we see the power in the name of God. Your kingdom come. He's got a kingdom. We, we belong to a kingdom. We have a kingdom and, and our kingdom has a king. And our king reigns and rules with authority, with might, with strength. All of these things in, in, embedded in this meaning. Your will be done. Not only do we serve a king with his kingdom, but he has a will. He has a purpose. He has a desired outcome. That's his will. And prayer isn't about us trying to manipulate God or get our way from him. He's not a cosmic vending machine. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with the will of God. Prayer is about bringing ourselves in submission to this will. And then on earth as it is in heaven. Again, it's acknowledgement that in heaven, in, in, the, in the realm of his perfect creation, in an everlasting eternal place of awesomeness and beauty and, uh, and, and peace and the will of God is perfectly done there. And what we're praying when we pray is, God, may it be here as it is there. Knowing that there will always be some tension in this here and now. We live in this world of tension. The tension between uh, the, the sinfulness, the fallenness of the world that we live in and the reality of, that we know of what's to come. So as some uh, commentators and, and, and Christian writers call it, the, the, uh, the tension between the already not yet, right? It's what we already understand will be true and yet is not it's not yet realized, that tension that we live with. All of these things, just from these simple words. But this isn't all of the teaching that we have about praying, right? John, as a matter of fact, gives us, uh, in, in one setting even, in John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, as John captures for us Jesus' teaching to his disciples on the night of the Passover, the night that they shared Passover together and in their last hours, John tells us three different times, four different times even in, in those chapters, how we are to ask God and that he will grant us the things that we ask. So let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So to recap while you're turning there, in Mark chapter 11, we see as I mentioned this morning, it's not power over God in prayer. It's accessing God's power through prayer. As we pray and we ask things in his name, Jesus says, believe. Peter, look, Jesus, that the tree that you cursed is wizard. And Jesus says, well, yeah, because when I say something, it happens. And in fact, you should always ask me knowing that I can do whatever you ask. I have power to do anything, Peter, and whatever you ask, I can do it. And so ask and believe. It's not exactly the way that it's recorded in Mark chapter 11, but that's, I think, faithful to the heart of the way Mark is recording it. John chapter 14, look at verse 13. Jesus says to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, 
I will do it. Now, there's an important qualifier here that, that we need to consider. A very important qualifier. Did you pick up on it? What's the phrase that's repeated a couple of times in these two verses? In my name. That's, in, that's significant. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Now, here's what that does not mean. That does not mean that we pray and then at the end of the prayer, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we just asked it in your name, Jesus. Whatever we asked, you've got to do it because I just asked it in your name. That's not what that means. When he says to ask in my name, it's similar to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 11. It means when you ask something that you know that I can do, when you ask anything knowing that it is in alignment with my will, my kingdom come, my will be done, when you're asking me to do my will, when you're bringing yourself under the, the umbrella of my authority and asking things in my name, believing that these things you're praying according to the will of the Father that can be done through the Son for the glory of, of God, as he goes on to say that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When you ask these things in my name, I'll do it. Those are some important qualifiers because it means that it doesn't, it means that it doesn't mean just whatever we ask. It means that, that when we ask essentially for the things that God wants to do and when we pray for and when we bring our will in alignment with the will of God and we ask in his name, meaning we pray according to his power or as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Believing, knowing that he has the power to do that and more. But that's not the only time that Jesus says this. Go to chapter 15, look at verse 7. In chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus told his disciples to remain because he is the vine and they are the branches and they should remain in him. Verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Again, we could come up with some really self-centered, unbiblical doctrines if we took this one verse and just lifted it from that text, right? Ask whatever you want and it will be done. You can get that tattooed on your arm, right? And, or, you know, like you see people do this kind of thing, right? Like they believe that I can ask the Lord whatever I want. Look, I even got it tattooed here so I'll never forget it. And the point is that's not what Jesus meant. He didn't mean that you can literally just ask whatever you want and you need to claim that as your life verse that he'll just give you everything you ask for. What he meant is you need to stay connected to the vine because we're the branches. And then if we remain in him and his words remain in us so that what is in us is the word of God, what we are connected to the vine, we are in fellowship with the son through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are in close communion with him, fellowship with him, in submission to his authority, looking to him, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? I mean, when all of these things start to kind of line up in our lives, then naturally the things that we begin to ask for are things in his name. The things that we begin to seek is his kingdom come, his will be done. And Jesus is saying, when you ask for those things, whatever you wish, It'll be done. But he's not finished. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Or as it says in another translation, fruit that will last. 
so that, we're, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus says, I chose you. And I chose you so that you would bear fruit. And the fruit that you will bear is what will happen when you ask the Father things in my name. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I chose you to do these good works. I chose you to do these things. And I've appointed you to do this. And when you ask for them to be done, they will be done. But he's not finished yet. Look at verse 23 and 24 of chapter 16. Speaking of a day to come, Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. And then this next phrase, which takes everything we've just learned, takes everything we've been talking about, and and exalts it to an altogether even greater level. This last phrase. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, What does that mean? Well, before we consider just the last phrase, let's go back to whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That sounds familiar, right? Again, Jesus is driving this truth home. Whatever you ask in my name, when you are asking things according to my power at work in you, my authority, my will, asking things in my, now, my name. Until now, you haven't asked anything in my name. And frankly, up to now, they didn't have to because Jesus was with them. And that's the point, right? Jesus is a step ahead of them. He's leading them, but he's about to go away. And when he goes away, what he's telling them is, and, and get this, this even blows my mind, that he, he actually says to them in, in this same setting, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus actually says, you know what, I'm about to go away, but it's for your good that I would go, because unless I leave, the helper won't come, meaning the Holy Spirit. Now, which one of us would choose the Holy Spirit over the active, living, physical presence of Jesus. I mean, if we're being honest, we would choose Jesus. And yet Jesus himself says, it's better for you that I go away and the Holy Spirit come. Because one of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit leads us to glorify the Son and, and do the will of the Father. Someday I'm going to have to preach through John 14, 15, 16, so you get all this, right? But you can go back and read it. You don't, I don't have to preach through it for you to get it. You can read it. But I mean, it's, it's awesome. This passage is awesome, what Jesus is, is teaching. He says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive. That your joy may be full. So here's the thing that takes all of this and then exalts it to an even greater level. Our joy becomes full when we are asking things according to the name of Jesus, according to the will of God the Father. When we believe, when we see that power at work, when we trust him to do those things, and we're asking God to do his will, that his kingdom come, his will be done. When we're praying for those things and believing in those things and, and seeing God work, man, there's fullness of joy in that. You want to know how to have really, really have joy in your life? Then get your heart to the place where you are praying for things in the name of Jesus. 
And again, that doesn't mean you pray and then at the end of it, you know, Lord, would you do this because it's what I want in Jesus' name. Amen. It means you really bring your prayers in alignment with the will of God. And then you trust in his power and you stand back and you watch him work. And you see those things happen. Now, it may not happen according to your agenda. It may not happen according to your timeline. It may not happen in the way that you would do it if you were God. But part of the joy comes in seeing those things happen and realizing that what God has is even better than what you asked for, ultimately. When you think, wow, God, I asked you for this and you gave me this. There's fullness of joy in that. That's what Jesus says. But then John gives us one other place that I, I want us to consider before I go back and give you these five points of powerful prayer. First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. In a week and a half, I'm going to a seminary class, uh, you know, working on my doctorate stuff. And, and I'm going to a class where we are studying through the letters of John. And so I'm writing these papers right now. I'm reading and I got to go home tonight and write some on a paper. Oh, joy. Um, but one of my papers is what's called an exegesis of 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. And, and so these verses are verses that I'm considering in this paper that I'm writing. But look at this. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. John is saying we can have confidence in this. This is the confidence that we have when we pray. How many times do you pray with confidence? John says this is the confidence you should have when you pray. That if you ask anything according to his will, he hears it. And if he hears it, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. If he hears it, if we've asked according to his will and he hears it, we can believe we can believe in it. We can trust God for it. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Ask in my name and it will be done. Ask. Peter said in Mark 11. Jesus, look, the tree is withered. Jesus said, yes. Have faith in God, Peter. Ask anything in my name and it will be done. Ask to save this mountain. Be thrown in the sea. And it'll be done, right? That's the point of what Jesus is saying. Peter, yes, of course the tree is withered. And in fact, if you'll trust in me and if you'll stay close to me and connect with me, Peter, that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. That's the point of what Jesus is saying to Peter. Now, it'd be great if that meant, you know, we could pray, Lord, I want to drive home in my brand new Lexus tonight. Yay, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. It's not going to happen. I'm going home in an 03 Toyota. That's what, I, that's what I came here in. That's what I'm going home in, right? That's not what it means. It's not, the, it, it's not a prosperity, name it, claim it. But do you see that in reality, it's actually something far better? Because we would ask for all the wrong things 
Now, I really believe Jesus has the power to give us anything that we grant. And I also really believe that he loves us enough to do that if it wasn't a totally wicked and bad thing that we would ask for, which we would, right? We would ask for all the wrong things. We would squander that like, like Aladdin in, in the, the movie Aladdin, right? The, where he asks for the wrong things. Is Aladdin the character's name? What's the, yeah, his name's Aladdin, right? And he gets the genie and he can ask for, and he just starts squandering his wishes on all the wrong things, right? That's exactly what we would do. And we would make God into a genie in a bottle if we could. So he's given us some parameters. He says, listen, I, I can, you think that's neat? You should see what I can, re- you think the withered tree is neat, Peter? Well, you should really see what I can do, right? But the point is, in order that we might not squander the power of God on things that are totally worthless and insignificant, he's given us some boundaries, some parameters. Ask these things according to my name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, there is enormous power available to us, but he doesn't want us to waste it on dumb things like houses and cars, right? He wants us to use it on something far more incredibly significant. And when we do, there's a fullness of joy that's so much greater than what material things could ever give us. So let me give you five points, and I'm going to move through these quickly for time. And honestly, every one of these are rooted in the scriptures I've just given you. Now, you're not going to find this. It's one of those things where I am going to give you some, what I believe to be biblically sound, theologically dense, yet very simple truth statements None of these are found in the scriptures in a way of like, thou shalt do this. But I think every one of these five points can be taken directly from a proper understanding of the passages I've just given you. I'll move through them, as I said, rather quickly, because I think they kind of speak for themselves. The first one is this. When we pray, pray expecting Jesus' power. When we pray, we should pray expecting Jesus' power. Jesus seems to say to Peter in, in this passage in Mark, right? Peter, I can do a lot more than wither up an old fig tree, right? I mean, there's a lot more power here than just that. Don't be too impressed. When we pray, we should pray expecting his power. Secondly, pray in Jesus' name. And you understand, I've tried to explain this already. That doesn't mean you just end your prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. It's not what praying in Jesus' name really means. So pray expecting Jesus' power. Pray in Jesus' name. Third, pray for Jesus' will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Pray for Jesus' will. Ask anything in my name and I'll do it. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask that your joy may be full. Pray for Jesus' will. Fourth, pray because of Jesus' work. 
pray because of Jesus' work. In a book on prayer that, uh, uh, oh, help me, my mind went to holy blank. Redeemer Church in New York. Tim Keller, thank you. I don't know why I blanked out on that. In, in Tim Keller's book on prayer, which he gave the very creative name to this book is Prayer. Uh, in, 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 but it's a really awesome book on prayer. And in that book, he, uh, he points out the fact that what, it, what, what did prayer cost? What does prayer cost? And he says that the prayer, that prayer, our prayers cost God his son. God gave his son to purchase us from our sin so that he could hear our prayers. And that's a really powerful thought. Pray because of Jesus' work. Knowing that Jesus gave everything. He literally gave his life. He gave everything. So that we might be able to pray in his name that it would be done. And then finally this. Pray in light of Jesus' presence. What I mean by that is knowing that he is alive, knowing that he has power, knowing that even now he is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. Pray in light of Jesus' presence. Let me recap these quickly. Pray expecting Jesus' power. Pray in Jesus' name. Pray for Jesus' will. Pray because of Jesus' work. And pray in light of Jesus' presence. And if that's the way that we pray, then I believe, first of all, we'll be praying according to the Scriptures. Second of all, there will be power in our prayers. It's not, as I've said already, power over God in prayer, but rather it's experiencing God's power through prayer. Final thing I'll share, just a kind of a closing story. When I went to the last class that I did for my doctorate a few weeks ago, early March, um, the class was taught by Steve Gaines, Dr. Steve Gaines, who is the current pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He's also currently the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a really humble, neat, down-to-earth guy. I really enjoyed getting to sit at his feet for a few days with 15 other guys in this class. It was really just a neat, neat experience. And when he came in, he was going to be teaching this class. The class was called Contemporary Expository Preaching. And the first story that he told us was about a time in his undergraduate degree when he had a few extra hours. He was about to graduate. He needed an upper-level class. He could take just literally just anything as long as it was the right level. And he had some hours to burn. So he chose to take an upper-level vocal music class. He said, I've, you know, I've got a decent voice. I've always had an, a decent singing voice. And, and, uh, and so I just took this vocal music class. And he said he went into the class first day with the instructor. It was one-on-one instruction with the vocal professor. And, and the, the professor had him sing some things. And the professor shook his head at him and said, no, 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 no. 
He said, you're doing it all wrong. And he said, you know, it was the first time in my life anyone had ever told me that I didn't sing well. And, and it really kind of hurt my feelings. And he said, but the professor said, you're doing it all wrong. And he said, what he meant was, and he went on to explain, your breathing is all wrong. Your breathing is wrong. He said, here, this is what I want you to do. He said, and, and Dr. Gaines is a big guy. He played football in college. He's probably six foot four. I mean, he's a big guy. And he said, he had me lie down on the floor. And this little music professor, he said, stood on my stomach and said, now breathe. And so I did. And he said, and he said, so the professor was going up and down. And he said, now sing. He said, I tried singing and I couldn't do it. And, and he kept working. And, and the professor said to him, before I can teach you to sing, first, I've got to teach you to breathe. And he said to us, he said, fellas, before I can teach you to preach, first, I've got to teach you to breathe. And he spent the next day and a half, and all we talked about was prayer. All of it. What I went in expecting was all the nuts and bolts of do this, do that, how to write a sermon, how to study, how to interpret, how to do, right? And what I got instead was the first day and a half anyway, was all about prayer, the power of prayer, the movement of God in prayer, what God does when we pray, all about prayer. And it was awesome. And it was a great challenge even to me because it wasn't what I, but, but do you see that? There's so much power available to us, but in order to access that power from God, We've got to pray. It's not about manipulating God or bending him to our will. It's not having power over God in prayer. But it's experiencing the power of God through prayer as we breathe, as we live for him. So my prayer for you is that our prayers would be prayers of power. As we pray this way, as we pray according to the scripture. And so and it, there is nothing more fitting and appropriate, no more fitting and appropriate way for us to wrap up tonight than in prayer. And so this is what I would like to do. I would like to ask you to take a moment with me and just to um, just sort of clear your, your plate, so to speak. Set aside your, your things if you've got things that are going to be a distraction. I know sometimes we get to this point and we want to start, you know, packing it all away. And, and, and if that's going to be the case, just set it aside for a minute. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want us to just, in this moment, I want us to slow down. And for a moment, I want us to breathe. And I want us to pause before God. And, and what... What I want us to do is to take a moment tonight and to, first of all, just have some self-awareness as you, as, you, as you get silent and you get still before him. What's going on right now? What are your, where are your thoughts? Where is your heart? What are your concerns? What's, and, and then take those things to God in prayer and begin to ask him, Lord, what are you, what's your will for my life? What would you have me do? And, and that you would just begin to pray in his name. God, would you, God, would you align my, my heart and my will with yours? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus told us. We don't, we don't have to use a lot of words. There's not power in, in, the, in the words themselves, as though there were these certain words and we've got to get them all right. He says even, in fact, your father already knows what you need before you pray. You're not praying 
because God doesn't know what's going. You're acknowledging before him his presence, his power, his authority over all things in your life. And so we're going to take about two minutes of silence in prayer. It's going to feel like an eternity. It, it is because it just does. When you're in groups like this, right, a little bit of silence feels like forever. But in reality, we're going to pick about two minutes. And in this time, I want to encourage you just to, just to say this, because you can't do all of this in two minutes. But just to say this, Lord, here are the burdens of my heart. And what I want is to bring all of this in alignment with your will. God, would you just begin to do a work in my heart? Help me to, help me to take these concerns, these burdens that I have. And Lord, just I want to bring them to you. I want to bring them under under the umbrella of your authority and your will. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, on earth as it is in heaven. And begin to acknowledge his power as we spend a few moments in prayer. So the altar are open. If you'd like to do that here, you can, whatever position is, is physically positioned, whatever is comfortable. There's not going to be any music that's going to play. We're going to take about two minutes now. And I want us to just take a moment to go before God, to still our hearts and to pray. And then I'll close us word of prayer in a couple of minutes, okay? Let's pray. Lord, before we ever speak a word to you, you know what is on our hearts. You know what will be on our lips. We believe that you understand perfectly the desires of our hearts. 
what we would ask is that you would shape those desires, that they would be after yours. That what we want, Lord, would be to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Truly, Lord, that we would experience your power at work. Not for our sake. Lord, you know that we would waste it. If, if this was just about getting whatever we want, we'd, we would waste your power on all the, the wrong things. What we desire to see happen is just a, a true movement. A movement of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our church, in our community. Lord, we want to see your power And we believe, we understand that happens through prayer. Not power to manipulate or direct you to do just what we want, but rather power that will align our hearts with your will in such a way that we will pray the right things and ask and seek and desire the right things. So direct our hearts, direct our desires even, Lord. We desire to see your power at work in us. We desire to see your will done. We desire to to experience your, your presence through the work of your Holy Spirit alive in us. And so, Lord, lead us in these things that our joy may be full. We ask in your great name. Amen.